Hello, and welcome to Monco on the Move podcast. I'm Molly Hafner, Director of Marketing at Montgomery County Community College. And I'm Jared Brown, Assistant Dean of Academic Affairs at Monco's Pottstown campus. How are you doing? I am doing great. I'm I excited well. about our guest. I know, I, I know. know. It's We have lots of questions, lots I to know. learn. I love it. And it's going back off last year's very successful and very impactful Lively Arts series, the Richard K. Bennett Distinguished Leadership for yeah. Social Peace and Justice. They presented this seven-part series called Racism in America. You did? Were you able to see any of those, Jared? I saw some of it. Yeah, me too. And so this year, the Racism in America series returns with a three-part online lecture, Mm -hmm. Racism in America, Understanding Medical Racism Mm -hmm. and Its Impact on African Americans and Indigenous People in the 20th Century. Yep. And part one of the series is called, What is the History of Medical Racism in the 20th Century and How Did Medical Racism Impact African American Communities? And that one's going to be presented virtually on Wednesday, February 23rd at 12.30 p.m. All right. Then we got part two. What are we doing today that proactively destroys medical racism moving forward? That's going to be presented virtually Wednesday, March 2nd at mm. 1230 p.m. And then both of those sessions uh, will be recorded if you're yeah. unable to attend. And then the third and final part of the series, Hearing and Healing, a reflection on the Racism in America series, will be held Friday, March 11th at noon, presented by our very own Dr. Yeah. Kemis Sharif. Dean of Holistic Support at Monco. Amazing. Mm -hmm. And and I like that it's a series like this because it's sort of leading the conversation and having more dialogue about this very important topic. Mm -hmm. So our guest today is Dr. Miranda C. Ward. She is an assistant professor of clinical research and leadership at George Washington University. GW, right? Mm -hmm. At School of Medicine and Health Sciences, Dr. Ward will be presenting the first two parts of this year's series. Okay. And Dr. Ward is going to tell us about her research, her work in overhauling institutionalized racism in the medical community and its practices with underserved populations specifically. Plus, she'll also give us a preview of some of the topics that she'll be discussing during her upcoming lectures. Amazing. We'll cover that and more when the Monco on the Move podcast continues right after this. Ah, it's such a nice day. I'm happy to be outside. Ah, what is that smell? It's my neighbor's stinky cigar. Why are you smoking that stinky cigar? I like my stinky cigar. Yeah. You know smoking is bad and I don't want to smell it. Yeah. I guess you're right. Smoking is a highly addictive habit that can easily become a lifelong addiction and can cause long-term health problems for you and those around you. And it stinks. Stop smoking. And welcome back to the Monco on the Move podcast. I'm Jared Brown. Our guest today is Dr. Miranda Ward, Assistant Professor of Clinical Research and Leadership at George Washington University's School of Medicine and Health Sciences. Welcome, Dr. Ward. Thanks for coming to our podcast. We're excited to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to the upcoming series. Yeah, so I'm glad that you're able to join us. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the research that you've conducted at the university? Absolutely. Okay, so yes, everyone knows now I am an assistant professor at the George Washington University, but what you may not know is that I'm also an emerging scholars fellow in anti-racism and health equity. Yep. 
And so this is actually a one-year fellowship mm-hmm. that can be renewed for a second year at the School of Medicine and Health Sciences at GW. So I'm actually on the tail end okay. of my second year of this fellowship. Mm-hmm. And it really kind of came about through the work of two deans. So the Senior Associate Dean of Health Sciences and then the Dean of Faculty Affairs in the School of Medicine, who literally curated this fellowship for me to help to meet one of our institutional aims. So just to provide some context, you know, back in 2020, after the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, the senior leaders across the GW Medical Enterprise, that being the hospital, the med school, you know, Children's National, they came together and they really decided that, you know, yes, we have this long-term commitment to, you know, basically commitment rather to health equity, but what we really need to do is have a measurable commitment to racial equity. Mm. And so, because they they realize, which I'm actually going to, you know, kind of talk about that it's really impossible to achieve health equity without racial equity. And so they decided, you know what, why don't we create an anti-racism coalition that mm-hmm. we call the ARC. Mm-hmm. And so it's this 16-member steering committee of folks, you know, across the enterprise that are really tasked with leading a coordinated effort, really, to really meet that strategic aim to be an anti-racist institution. So I'm one of those steering committee members. Wow. Yes, yes. So excited about the, you know, Amazing. this huge uh, undertaking. Absolutely. <laughs> a lot. It feels, you know, daunting, but, you know, nonetheless, I'm, I'm here for the fight. So, you know, my role on the steering committee is leading the training, development, and evaluation arm mm. of the ARC. And so, you know, I, everything that I do is research informed, right? So, yes, I'm going to develop training, but I have, it has to be steeped in the, you know, what the literature says. And so, it just really informs my practice. So, I did design, and that's, that's the kind of research that I'm leading right now, which is an anti-racism demonstration project that's really going to allow for me to test out an organization organizational change model in one of the departments before we kind of scale up and replicate it across different programs and departments. And so the fellowship is actually buying out some of my time so that I have the bandwidth to actually lead a research study, right? So, you know, so there's this work, right? And then then all the other type of research that I'm engaged with ultimately is focused on training health, you know, health workforce, health, you know, professionals to meet the challenges of racial equity and health equity. Because if we like, if we just connected to the nation's health goals, right? You know, every 10 years when the census comes out, we also update our our framework uh, for how we're going to measure progress and we have these benchmarks within the Healthy People Framework. So according to our Healthy People 2030 goals, you know, we rightly name that we want to eliminate health disparities. And that's the way that we're going to achieve health equity, which is one of those things. And so, you know, that's the thing. When we think about, you know, there's there's just naturally occurring health differences, right? We have neurodiversity, we have human variation, and you literally can biologically explain that. Mm-hmm. There's genetics, right? There's age, there's, you know, development. But when it comes to health disparities, there is no biological explanation for that. It's entirely mm-hmm. social, yeah. right? So it, these are the unfair, these are not natural, right? These are unnecessary, avoidable, unfair health differences that we see that only impact socially disadvantaged groups. And so the only explanation is structural inequity, right? So when we talk about health equity, we're inherently having a discussion on racism, right? And the need for racial equity. And so that's why we have to really recognize that racism literally is at the root is one of you know the culprits of why we even have disparities to begin with. And so that's why I host training on how to talk about race, how to talk about racism in the classroom as part of one of the health equity series that I'm leading at GW. And why I have since created a structural racism curriculum that did receive some seed funding from the AAMC, which is 
the um, American Association of Medical Colleges yeah. to help to prepare some of the GW medical students who actually go off and do service um, learning projects in one of the federally qualified health centers here. And you know, you know, when they get into that in, into that practice, it's so important that they are able to adequately contextualize the health outcomes that they see because you know the overwhelming majority of the patient population there are you know black PC residents. And so, you know, yes, my background is in sociology, anthropology, public health, curriculum and instruction. And I feel like that just cross-disciplinary type of uh, you know, lens that I bring is so important for allowing me to really see DC as my classroom, right? right? No matter who the audience is, right? I can be teaching public health undergrad students, it can be med students, PT students, PA students, you know, faculty. Ultimately, DC is, you know, our training ground. Right. And so I just think that's so important, especially since GW is a PWI, a, you know, predominantly a white institution. Yep. And so, you know, you have like all these white students who just don't have to think about race. But, you know, they live in a city and then they work and train in settings where, you know, there's, you know, black and indigenous people of color who can't live life without thinking about race. Right. right? So, you know, you come into a setting, you come into, you know, um, a space, a community with race and class privilege. And then you're, you're entering in, in these communities of color um, that have been historically disinvested. Yep. Um, there's that tendency to kind of come in there with that savior complex. That's just, you know, it's empowering, it's dehumanizing, and, you know, it's something that can be unlearned, right, with kind of adequate, you know, priming and preparation. So that's why the structural racism curriculum is so important because it really is centering the voices of DC community members. And what that does, it, it actually, you know, decolonizes, you know, the way we learn. Because now here we are having, you know, DC community uh, residents as experts. And so now you're forced to kind of share power, unpack those deficit narratives that are often disparage these very communities. Um, you know, when you're thinking about health disparities as these kind of people-based issues rather than policy-based issues. So, you know, I'll just end here with just saying that, you know, all of the disparities that we see are patterned, right? So it's not this one-off, <laughs> it's not, oh, just so happens, a coincidence, right? Happens, right? You literally see it across day time, cross-based over and over, we keep seeing it's, you know, black and brown people living in poverty, woefully underemployed, underinsured, denied the right to vote, just, just a range of ongoing affronts to their humanity. And so it's the socially advantaged populations who have those head starts, who get extended credit, who the federal government decided to extend mortgage loans historically, right, at the expense of relegated black and brown communities to ghettos. So when we see, you know, these wealth gaps, this has been structurally engineered. <laughs> Um, it really has nothing to do with the so-called American dream where all you got to do is, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, just work hard, right? Not, you know, no, we have to name the role and function of structural racism. And so, you know, whether that's in housing, whether that's in the criminal legal system or in medicine, right? Right. It really like cross-cutting across the, the social fabric of this country. So that's why I talk about the history of scientific racism and, you know, and why racism, you know, just feels so pervasive, it feels so impenetrable because science has been revered as this objective truth, right? It, it goes unquestioned, unscathed, uncritiqued. And so, and it was science that was actually used to justify racism. And that's been very well documented that we know that, you know, science is not race neutral. In fact, science has been used to heal eugenics. <laughs> 
Um, and you know, just other kind of byproducts of white supremacy. So the meanings that get attached to race, yes, it gets baked into research, research design, research interpretations, data, algorithms, oh, you know, yeah. all the things that translate over into clinical practice, right? right? And then the ways that we even talk, you know, talk about and think about the, you know, these very communities. So it actually shows up in our stories too, right? We see it in the media narratives, right? So literally it just it's just like there's no untouched surface. And so that's why we have to have these, these conversations, um, you know, um, you know, kind of thinking about and reckoning with where where racism, um, you know, what, what it looks like and how it shows up. And so I, um, you know, I just want those who attend the, the lecture series to, to recognize that, you know what, if you choose not to recognize how this social construction, right, that we call race <laughs> um, has and continues to maintain race-based medicine, you know, you're willingly maintaining how racism gets institutionalized, right? Um, and you very well may be well-intentioned and, you know, I just don't understand how, because, you know, oftentimes we think of racism as the most egregious form, right? No, racism, you know, has gone on under the radar, <laughs> has been passing as standards and norms, right? And you know, that's just our practice, that's just our policy, right? Um, and so, you know, you too could very well unknowingly maintain racism. So like just no one gets a pass, right? Racism has been operating, um, like I said, too, far too long as the status quo. And so we all do have a responsibility to disrupt it. So that really just brings me back to, you know, again, here at GW, our institutional, like I said, strategic aim, you know, to be anti-racist. And I know other institutions are following, you know, they're kind of have similar um, strategic efforts underway. Um, because, you know, if you think about as an institution, no matter, you know, big or small, you want to, you know, say that, okay, yes, we have this commitment, we are going to be anti-racist. You have to acknowledge your own institutional legacy of racism, and that also means colonialism, right? Because that's at the root of that. So, because otherwise, it's just going to be disingenuous, right? If you, you know, you say, oh, yeah, we got these plans to be anti-racist, but you haven't even reconciled with the harms of the past, or how that keeps showing up as microaggressions in the present day, right? And that does include, you know, naming um, buildings after slave owners and segregationists, right? And like in GW's case, yes, our school name and our mascot as a colonial, right? It's very telling of that past. So yeah, I, you know, definitely calling on other institutions to do the same is what, you know, and I'm, think, I'm thinking, I'm hopeful, I anticipate that this um, Racism in America series will be the launch pad for some real critical self-examinations. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think, first off, everyone who's going to be listening to these lectures is going to be in for a treat. I think no one can come away unchanged because there mm-hmm. you are going to be bringing up things. I mean, even just what you said connected so many different parts. And right. I lived in D.C. for seven years. And I mean, you know, just my mind was going through all the different interactions that I had with my neighbors and friends and church in different places. I think it's awesome that you're doing that work and how interesting that is. I wish we were could be a fly on the wall and watch to see some of what you were doing. And, and you know, it just to me, it sounds like, I mean, you're bringing such awareness Right. And with awareness comes either you can hear it and you can walk away or you can hear it and you can act. And so, you know, I know that on our campus, Brent Woods and what he's been doing with the Racism in America series has really started the conversation and I think got a lot of things moving in the right direction. And I guess. So first off, Miranda, how did you get involved with our Racism in America series here at Monco? Okay, well, I actually have a student research lab called Core Health here at GW. And so, you know, earlier when I mentioned how we're um, 
basically designing out and disseminating a structural racism curriculum. I actually had, you know, the student research activists in this lab, you know, working with me to do that. So as part of that research, we were, you know, coming across all these different resources when you were like, you know, scouring, you know, online and literature. And because we were trying to create these video-based modules and just all these supplemental reading materials. And we actually came across the lecture series, as you you know, the, from last year, the Racism in America series. And because we have academic integrity, we reached out. <laughs> Thank you. To get permission to use it. Yeah. And that's how we came across, you know, came across Brent. And so, you know, we asked permission to to use the clip. They had a clip from the last year's series on systemic racism. And we were like, oh, I love this. Yes, yes, yes. This will help contextualize this one part. So we're going to just kind of like, you know, had a little snippet of it, but obviously we want to, you know, get rights to do that. And then he was like, oh, of course. And sure. actually, while well, I have you, uh, will you <laughs> <Yeah>. come on? <laughs> <and>, uh, <laughs> sure. Come and be part of our, you know, the next round of our next yeah, so for our listeners, Brent Woods is the Senior Director of Cultural Affairs yes. here at Monco, yep. and he is really spearheading the Racism in America series, and we're so grateful for that, to bringing that to our community, and I'm so yep. glad that you all were able to connect and sort of help each other out in this very important topic and sharing your research and really advocating. You know, I am currently in a doctoral program and it's we're looking at the history of higher education and I'm like pulling out the little hair that I have left because I'm like <laughs> oh my gosh what were we thinking and and it's all to me you know if I had to write something it'd be like access 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 mm-hmm. and it's like every human being is entitled to access mm. and unfortunately it's still not that case today and that's what's frustrating and that's what's upsetting yeah. so I think as an individual I have to ask myself what can I do to advocate and make sure that access is available? And I believe that as a community college, that's part of our mission. We are, Absolutely. you know, access. A- ex- yes. Point. Come on. Yes. Come on. We'll, edu- you know, part, we'll educate yeah. you. We'll, yeah. in- you know, we want you to be a part of this amazing Monco family. And I truly believe in that. And wherever your access point is, I think that it's important that we make sure there is one. Yep. Right? right. So that's that's mm-hmm. sort of my thing but thank you for that and I'm glad that Brent was able to connect with yeah, you. Yeah that's that's great. So okay so your lecture takes place over two days as I said part one February 23rd and part two is March 2nd. Um, so do audience members do they need to have seen our previous Racism in America installments or they can they come in fresh to hear your lectures? So you know okay I welcome anyone who has the time and the interest to tune into both lectures. Yeah. Right? The thing is though I am designing them so that they stand on their own. Right? Okay. Uh, okay. So yeah, yeah. So in that way, you don't feel like okay. Say if you didn't attend the first one and you, and you you know came to the second one, you won't feel like oh you're behind or you're missing something. You know, just because you weren't able to tune in. Because the, the thing is, no matter which lecture you attend, in both of them, I'm actually going to cover you know key terms and you know just so that just no matter if you are new to this, you know you, you never really had these conversations before, or you know what this is something you've been doing for years, right? I just want us to have a shared understanding and so we all can jump into the conversation, right? Um, but I will also will um, share that for those who are t- who are attending the first one, I did share two pre-readings with Sean Hutchinson. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, 
um, so that those who you know want to come to that very first session, they feel primed and ready for the for the discussion. And so, you know, it was basically like an article from the Journal of National Medical Association on race, medicine, and healthcare, and then the other one was from the Lancet on reckoning with the histories of medical racism. Amazing. So what is the history of the medical racism in the 20th century and how did medical racism impact African-American communities? Why was this so important to start there, do you think? Why, out of all the your research and everything, can you sort of tell us why you decided to kick it off the this, this journey or this information with that point? Okay. Well, I'll start by sharing that um, I actually don't start the discussion or the review in the 20th century. I actually oh. did a timeline. Yep. Okay, so I good. A timeline dating back to 1619. Ooh. And so this is in my structural racism curriculum, um, which is what I'm pulling from for the lecture series. Okay. And, um, and yes, I, you know, I kind of give examples that are kind of like dotted throughout the timeline, right? So I go from 18th and 19th centuries, but the impacts that I discuss are definitely more 20th and 21st century okay. focused. So, you know, I do start off posing the question, what is medical racism? You know, like I said, giving them more contemporary examples. And the reason why I did that is because I just felt like there would just be more familiarity, mm-hmm. you know, especially for medical students or health professional students, they're already, they're in training. So they may feel more connected to these more kind of, like I said, more recent examples um, in their didactic or clinical training, but then, you know, then we go back and contextualize it, right? And if, you know, just talking about racism in of, of itself, you know, I want it to be clear that, you know, this is a series for everyone, right? So it's not like, oh, look, only, you know, black or brown come, no, because racism hurts everyone. Right. <laughs> so, but the thing is, you know, and I make that clear and have, you know, examples of what that of what that looks like and even the definition that I give of racism makes that clear. But I do address how racism impacts, you know, Hispanic communities, Asian communities, indigenous communities while focusing on the disproportionate and well-documented impact on black communities. So yes, there is a focus on anti-black racism in particular. And then the next session, uh, what are we doing today proactively um, to, sorry, to proactively destroy medical racism? Uh, what are some of your goals for that for that session? So I'm so excited about that session. I mean, I'm, I'm excited about both of the sessions, but that's the session where it's kind of like, now what, right? Because it's like, you know, it's one thing to focus on the harms and outline the history of medical racism, which is it's important though, right? Um, but like, what can we do about it? Um, and so... Basically, I just want to give some examples of institutions that have really been addressing medical racism by, you know, changing policy, changing curriculum, changing the way they seek out university community partnerships, right? So I want to just kind of give some of those examples to say, okay, given these things, what does it look like to do these things with an anti-racist lens? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, it's not possible for me to share like an exhaustive list. Um, because one, we've never seen an anti-racist society, let alone anti-racist institution. So we're like basically kind of building the plane while we're flying. So um, basically, you know, I'm gonna just kind of pull out some that have, you know, that have had some, some, some pro- made some progress, and then have some things that have some like lessons learned. Like for instance, I'm gonna be highlighting the work of Brigham and Women's Hospital. They've been doing, you know, like they've been literally chartered terrain in anti-racism in clinical practice in particular. Um, and then also, you know, obviously, uh, you know, get some examples of my own institution, UW. That that sounds great. Wow. So this is a lot and amazing. I 
feel like it's, you know, just your it, it's so much good information that you have to everybody who's listening, please go and listen to our two lectures by Miranda Ward. Please come log in. And um, like I said, I think you're going to be in for a treat. And you no, know, it's just thank you so much for being here today. We appreciate having you on the podcast so much. And we look forward to both of those lectures. Um, you basically just I feel like it's just tip of the iceberg here. So I really think we're going to dive in more uh, during those lectures. So listeners can get more information on free tickets. I just want to repeat that free tickets. So definitely take advantage of this about those lectures at mc3.edu slash arts. You can go to the bottom of that page and you'll see the events for mm-hmm. the Races in America series. And then also, as Miranda had been speaking, if you wish to listen to some of the Racism in America from last year, you can go to mc3.edu slash RIA21. And there are, I think, five sessions there that are definitely worth listening to. It'll get you in the mindset and it'll get you ready to be prepared for these lectures. So highly recommend that. We here at Monco are absolutely committed to diversity and equity and inclusion. And this is just one piece of our kind of multifaceted approach. Mm -hmm. And it's part of our Black History Month series and also just the races in America and many of the different things that we pull through with lively arts and other things. So definitely stay tuned. Um, You can always go to our website and see all the events on our homepage on our website. And special thanks to our sound recording and music technology students, Colin Foley, Quinn Senta, and Kyle Petras. And thank you for listening to the Monco on the Move podcast. Check back soon to hear more stories from our Monco family. Until next time, I'm Jared Brown. And I'm Molly Hafner. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening to Monco on the Move. Students at Montgomery County Community College working in the sound recording and music technology program record, edit, and produce this podcast. Check out mc3.edu forward slash on the move to listen to our latest episode or download our podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also learn about the latest episodes by following us on social media. Have a guest in mind you think would be great for the podcast? Email Eric Devlin at edevlin at mc3.edu or Diane Van Dyke at dvandyke at mc3.edu. And come back next time to find out more about what's happening at your community college and catch our Montco Momentum.